good morning. This morning, we're continuing in the book of Exodus. And last week, Daniel walked us through the end of chapter 4, where we were reminded that God sought to liberate the Israelites, not simply because they were an oppressed people, but because they were God's people. Daniel also reminded us of the importance of believing what God says and obeying him in the small things and in the large things. This week, we're looking at Exodus chapter 5. And from this chapter, I want us to consider two things this morning. The first is the battle is between Pharaoh and God. And then secondly, our obedience might sometimes lead to surprising results. Let me pray for us. Father, I just ask this morning, Holy Spirit, that you would come. That you would take this ancient text, your holy word, and that you would have your way with it in our hearts. Lord, where there's resistance in our hearts, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would convict us. Where there's discouragement in our hearts, I pray that you'd encourage us. I pray this morning that you would use your word to transform us into your likeness. So give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And we pray this in your powerful name. Amen. So you can open your bulletins or you can open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 5. And the first thing as we look at this chapter, I want us to consider that the battle is between Pharaoh and God. Now, it's easy when you're reading through Exodus to think that the battle is between two men, between Pharaoh and Moses, or two nations between Egypt and Israel. But as we read through these first five chapters we see that the battle is not between these two men or these two nations, but rather the battle is between Pharaoh and God. At the beginning of chapter 5, Moses and Aaron, they go to Pharaoh, but they go not representing themselves or even representing the Israelites. They are going as ambassadors of the Lord, and they're speaking directly On God's behalf. Look at verse 1. They say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord. They want Pharaoh to know that God is speaking to them. And what does God say to Pharaoh? Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. Moses, he wants to make it very clear to Pharaoh. God is present, and He has a word for him. And that word is that He is Yahweh. He is God. He is all-powerful. And He wants Pharaoh to let His people go. Now, if you look at verse 2, Pharaoh, he doesn't question Moses and Aaron. He doesn't critique Moses and Aaron. He doesn't insult Moses and Aaron. Because Pharaoh understands that his battle isn't with Moses and Aaron. But instead, what does he do? He takes his war of words directly to God. And he says this in verse 2. Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel, Israel go? I do not know the Lord. 
And moreover, I will not let Israel go. Pharaoh's question here of who is the Lord is not an inquiry as to the identity of Yahweh. Pharaoh's question is a statement of complete and utter disrespect for the Hebrew God. Pharaoh is saying to Moses and Aaron, we here in Egypt, we have many powerful gods. These gods open and close the wombs of our women. They cause our crops to flourish and they provide all the wealth that you see around you. Your Hebrew God is nothing compared to them. Therefore, I have nothing to fear and I will not let Israel go. Then hearing this, Moses and Aaron, they say again to the Pharaoh one more time, you're not listening to God. We're not standing here on our own power and on our own behalf. We are standing here on behalf of Yahweh. This God that you mock. God has met with us. So please let us go into the wilderness so that we might sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. And because Pharaoh's heart was hardened, we see in verses 4 through 19, we see that Pharaoh, he was so against God that he told Moses and Aaron to just get out of his presence. And then he told the Hebrews, you need to get back to work. But he didn't just leave it there. He said, I'm going to take away your straw, Hebrews. The straw that you need to make bricks. You're going to have to go find straw yourself. I'm going to make your labor even more difficult. And I'm not going to change the quota on the bricks that you need to make. Because you dare come into my home and confront me, let me show you how powerful I am. I am Pharaoh, and your God is nothing to me. The battle here is not between Pharaoh and Moses. The battle is between Pharaoh and God. Now you might be thinking this morning, why, why is this important? Why is it important for the author to establish this? Why is it important for us this morning? And the answer is that we are in a culture today that tempts us to think that our battle is with people. But the truth is, that there is a battle raging all around us. And that battle is between God and Satan and the evil that resides in our world. Yes, God defeated Satan through the resurrection of Christ. But until he comes again, he continues to fight against Satan, the prince of darkness who masquerades as a son of light and the prince of peace, Jesus Christ. So where does that leave us? Those of us who profess faith in Christ, we have been invited to come and fight alongside of Jesus with one important caveat, that our fight is not against humans. Our fight is against the principalities and powers and unseen forces around us. Paul <coughs> says it this way in Ephesians 6.12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. 
Christ's fight, and thus our fight, is not against other humans who are designed for dignity, but against the evil forces in the world to which Christ is laying siege. So the question for us this morning is, do we understand that our battle is between Christ and Satan, between good and evil that exist in our world? And in understanding and believe this, do we see that God, like He called Moses and Aaron to to fight alongside of Him in this epic battle, that He's calling us, that He's enlisting us to fight alongside of Him. We don't fight with guns or swords or bows or arrows. We fight with the armor of God. The breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit which is the word of God. We are called to lift our voices in prayer to God. We're called to speak the truth and love to our neighbors and to one another. And we're called to offer love and grace to those around us. We are called to be light in the darkness. And I think this is particularly important this week because it's easy as we go and vote on Tuesday to think that the enemy is Biden or the enemy is Trump. And we want to wage war against them. And if we do that, we miss the truth of God's word. Biden is not the enemy and Trump is not the enemy. The enemy is Satan. And Satan would love to do everything in his power to take our eyes off of him and fighting him and put our eyes on these two men. And he'd love to go even further and have us fight against one another. Because there's those in this room that are going to vote for Biden. And there's those in this room that are going to vote for Trump. And then there's those in this room that are going to vote for neither. And the temptation would be to fight against one another. But our fight is not against one another. Our fight is not against humans. Our fight is against the evil forces that would love to to tempt us and distract us from the truth and the Word of God. And so, I hope, after this election, we remember that whoever wins, God appointed them. If Biden wins, God appointed him. If Trump wins, God appointed him. Because God is the one who appoints the leaders. And I hope that we can be unified as a church body. And not relitigate the election, but move on and turn our attention in prayer to fighting the evil that exists around us, to fight the principalities and the powers, to fight against injustices around us, to fight for the poor, to fight for God's truth, to fight for the unborn. That is our fight, not with one another. And so the first thing we see in our passage this morning is that the battle is between Pharaoh and God, not Pharaoh and Moses. The second thing we see is that our obedience might sometimes lead to surprising results. My freshman year at UNC, I played intramural volleyball. I never really played volleyball much, but I was taken in a class, and um, my dorm at Mangum was all guys, and they needed some extra folks on the team, so I was like, sure, I'll play with you, and, and they were great. These guys were incredible.
incredible volleyball players. So I felt like I kind of was riding their wave. And we made it through the season. We went to um, the championship game, actually. And we played really, really well, but we lost. And we were devastated that we lost. But we thought, hey, next year, we're all going to be back in the dorm. Maybe we'll get some new freshmen that are even better. And so the next year, we played volleyball again. And, and we were actually an incredible team. We had plays. The guys on the team, they, they played perfectly, really. And we cruised through the season undefeated. And as we went into the championship at Carolina, the, the thing that you want to win more than anything is a blue um, intramural championship t-shirt. It's like gold at Carolina. And we were thinking, we're going to win because we're, we're doing everything right we cruise through the first couple of matches, no problem. We get to the championship match, it was the best two out of three games. We win the first game, everything is in sync, we're doing everything right. And then we kind of let go, in the second game, we, don't, we do everything wrong, and we lost. And in our minds, we were thinking, well, in the third game, if we do everything right again, if we play really well, we're going to win. And actually, we did play really well. And we didn't make many mistakes at all. And yet, we lost. And I was devastated. The whole team, I remember us going back to the dorm, just devastated. And in our minds, we kept thinking, what happened? We really did play really well. We, inst- we carried out all of our plays. What happened? And as I thought through that, it was a tough lesson as a young sophomore And it was the lesson that you can do everything right, you can do everything well, but the result isn't always going to be victory. And likewise, in our story this morning, Moses and Aaron, they did everything right. They were obedient to what God had commanded them to say and do. God told Moses in Exodus 3.18 to go and say to Pharaoh that he must let the Israelites go on a three-day journey into the wilderness, that they may sacrifice to the Lord our God. And Moses and Aaron did just that in verse 1 of chapter 5. Now, let me pause here for a moment, because some of you that are more detailed are saying, you know, if I read verse 1, it isn't exactly word for word what God told Moses to do. So they really weren't obedient fully to God, and therefore that's why the result was so negative. And I understand why you might think that. But the truth is, and most scholars believe, that because Moses is the author of Exodus, he understood that his audience had already read chapter 3, verses 18. And they already understood the concept of what God was saying. So when he writes chapter 5, 1, he doesn't have to go word for word because he knows that they already know. And the truth is, he's saying the exact same thing to Pharaoh. And that is, that God is telling us to go into the desert for three days to celebrate a feast where you would sacrifice. And that three-day journey would take them to the mountain of, of Morb. And there, they would celebrate their freedom and their liberation. They did everything Right. And so it's completely appropriate to interpret Moses and Aaron's actions 
as full and complete obedience to what God had instructed them to do. And based on Moses' response in verses 22 and 23 that Daniel is going to look at next week, it's clear that Moses himself was fully expecting that his obedience would result in Pharaoh letting the Israelites go. But what we see as we look at Pharaoh's response is that their obedience didn't produce the results that Moses had anticipated. In fact, their obedience led to very surprising results. As Pharaoh mocked God. And then if you look at verses 16, 6 through 14, Pharaoh made it much harder for the Hebrew slaves to meet their daily quota of bricks by withholding straw and forcing them to go and gather it themselves. And then when the Israelites started falling behind, our text tells us that things got even worse because of his obedience. The Egyptian slave masters, they actually beat the, the Israelite foremen. And those foremen were so upset and so confused that they went to Pharaoh. If you look at verses 15 through 18, the foremen of the people of Israel came and they cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, Make bricks? And behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. And listen to what Pharaoh says. You are idle, meaning you are lazy. And then he repeats it again. You are lazy. That is why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw would be given you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. Moses and Aaron, they fully expected that their obedience would lead to the liberation of God's people. But what they discovered was that their obedience actually led to greater hardship and suffering for the Hebrew brethren with no liberation in sight. In our passage this morning, we learn that our obedience will sometimes lead to surprising results. At times, our obedience, it does lead to blessings. But at other times, yours and my obedience is going to lead to suffering. Look at Jesus' life. We see that His obedience leads to joy and blessing, but we also see that His obedience led Him where? To the cross. Where He suffered. Yet for the joy set before Him, He was obedient unto death on a cross. Jesus' obedience led to suffering and death. And it was through this suffering and death that Jesus' obedience accomplished life for all of us who profess faith in Him. So we too need to understand that following Christ, obeying Him, will yes, sometimes lead to joy and blessing. But this side of heaven it might also lead to suffering. I'm a huge uh, fan of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, um, he was uh, basically in Germany, a part of the resistance uh, to Hitler. And he was a follower of Christ. And because of his obedience, he wanted to speak out against Hitler. And he was actually a part of the plot to try to overthrow Hitler which then ended him in jail in Tegel. 
And as he was in prison, he was writing, talking about how, how horrible the circumstances were, and yet he understood that his obedience doesn't always lead to joy. It sometimes leads to suffering. And a few weeks before the liberation of Germany, he was in a different prison, and the Germans were rushing to get rid of all the prisoners of war, and so they took Bonhoeffer and the other men up onto the gallows and they hung him three or four weeks before the Allied forces arrived. And he, knowing that this is what was going to happen, wrote in his journal that to be a follower of Christ means that we are called to obey him. And our obedience is costly. But if we obey him, then we get to participate in the fellowship of Christ's suffering. And so I wonder this morning, as you think about your obedience, do you understand that your obedience sometimes is going to lead to great joy, but at other times it might lead to suffering? And when it does lead to suffering, I hope this text helps reframe obedience and how you view it I hope you understand that when suffering comes, when you obey God, it isn't that God has abandoned you. It's not that He's forsaken you. Not at all. It's that you're participating in the fellowship of sharing in Christ's sufferings. What a privilege it is for us to do that. And I hope too, as we're obedient and we endure suffering, that we know that our suffering It produces character. It produces perseverance. We can remember that the testing of our faith, it produces Christ's likeness in us. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 2 that our obedience will lead to suffering. And like the Israelites at the end of chapter 5 who grumbled and complained for a moment, they didn't lose heart. And now they're in the company of the saints whose faith was also tested and who had to endure suffering. James says it this way, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trial of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect on you and perfect you and complete you so that you might lack in nothing. Our obedience is going to, to end in surprising results. We will experience blessing, but we will also experience suffering. But knowing that, hopefully, when the suffering comes, we won't feel abandoned by God, but know that He is present with us. And we won't walk away from our faith, but we'll continue to press into it. And persevere when our faith is tested. And so I wonder this morning, are you being obedient to God's word? Are you being obedient to his truth? And if you're not experiencing the blessings in the midst of that, I encourage you not to lose heart, but to remember this passage and to remember that God is with you, that he loves you, That he is perfecting you through those tests and trials and through that suffering. And he's making you into his 
likeness. The great hymn that we sing often here is, O Church, Arise. My hope is this morning that we will arise, that we will stand up, that we will remember that our battle is not against each other or other neighbors or those that are outside of Christ. That our battle is against Satan and the evil forces in this world. And Satan, he's not going to come as an angel of darkness. Scripture is clear. He is going to come as an angel of light. And so we need to be on guard. We need to take this sword of truth and memorize it. And we need to lift our voices in prayer and fight back the realms of evil that are destroying our world around us. I hope this morning that as we go from this place and as we enter this week, that we will remember that truth no matter what happens in this election. And I hope that we come back next week and we don't fight one another, but we stand united together. And I hope that we continue to walk in obedience every day of our life until Jesus Christ brings us home, regardless of whether our obedience leads to great joy or whether it leads to great suffering. Because one day Christ is going to come again. And when he comes again, he's going to make all things new. There'll be no more warring with Satan because he'll be destroyed. There'll be no more evil. There'll be no more sadness. There'll be no more elections, thank God. And we'll be with him forever and ever. And our obedience, this side of heaven, I hope, is a light to our dark world that Jesus Christ exists. And he is what's important this week. And he is what this world needs to bow down to. That is my hope and that is my prayer. Amen.